Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 6th of March 2016, entitled The Beauty of a Godly Woman, and the Bible reading is taken from Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to be opening your Bibles this morning for our scripture reading to the book of Titus chapter 2. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word from Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. May the Lord richly add his blessings to the reading of his word. Amen. On this day that is set aside to honor mothers, I can think of no better way to try to do that in God's house than through God's word. I know that many times, and we've looked at a lot of things, and even in recent weeks, how that I believe undoubtedly that the home, the family, is under attack like never before. I do not believe that we would be exaggerating in saying that Satan is pulling out the full artillery of hell to try to destroy the families and the homes. We look about. What do we see? We see immorality unfaithfulness, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, abortion, abuse, disobedience, lack of discipline, no love, no respect, destructive attitudes and behavior, and the list could go on and on and on. All of this and more are being aimed at destroying the family and the home and it's ever-increasing. The battle gets worse. The battle rages more and more. But the good news is that it doesn't have to be that way in our home. The devil is going to continue to try to do his job. But God has a plan. And God can strengthen our homes, and God can sustain our homes, and he can give us the families that will honor him. The problem is that too many people don't follow the instructions. <laughs> I can remember some of those nights, especially Christmas Eve, <laughs> putting together those bicycles and toys and those things that come with those simple, easy-to-read-and-follow instructions. I know how to do this. <laughs> After that piece is broke that won't fit there anymore, maybe it's time to go back and read the instructions and see if we can repair what we've messed up. But that's the way we are with our lives so many times. We think we've got it all figured out. We think we've done that so many times. We think that we just don't need any outside help. We think that we know what we need to know. Speaking back there before the service this morning about, it's just absolutely astounding how that we can take and we can pick up any wonderful, and there's beautiful pieces of literature out there, and we can read them, and we can be amazed by the words on those pages, and we can read it again, and we can read it again, but you know, after a few times, you begin to know what's coming on the next page. You know what's there. You know the story. You know how it starts. You know how it ends, and you know everything that happens in between, and that's it. But God's Word, you can pick up every day of your life, and you can read it, and you can reread it, and you can reread it, 
And the thing is, is that as we get older and grayer, we realize more and more and more that we never, ever can exhaust it, that we can never get to the depths of it, that no matter what we gain, there's always something more to gain because that's God's knowledge. It's God's power. It's God speaking to us. There is no end to that. And if there's anything that we need help with today, it's our homes and our families. Our churches can never, ever, ever be any stronger than the families and the homes that make it up. He begins here, remember, this is the Apostle Paul under inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing to a young preacher called Titus. He's giving this young man instruction And as he begins here in chapter 2, he says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Which become sound doctrine. What does that mean? What does it mean when something is becoming? It's not a word that we use a lot, but most of us would clearly understand the difference. If I were to come up to one of you this morning, if I were to, to say to, to Gareth back there, Gareth, that sweater you're wearing, that, that's really becoming of you. Well, hopefully you would know that that was a compliment. And I'm saying that that sweater makes you look better. It enhances you. A word that can easily be translated there, it beautifies you. So I'm saying something really good. Now, I could come up and say, where did you get that God-awful thing? And you'd understand, I'm not saying it's not very becoming of you, Gareth. The Bible's saying here is he's telling this, this young preacher, you should speak the things which becomes sound doctrine. You should be speaking the things which are going to enhance, that are going to help, that are going to beautify sound doctrine, sound teaching, God's teaching from the Word of God. That's what you're to speak during all of this. We want you to say things that is going to beautify the very teachings of God as you put them forth. Now, we see that word used again down in verse 3 when he speaks of the age of women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. And then we see a very similar word down in verse 10 not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. The word adorn comes from the same word that most of you ladies could give us a better idea of today known as cosmetics. Cosmetics, things that beautify you, or they're supposed to, Some people go way overboard. I've told you the story before. One of the dear old saints, great preachers of my years growing up, and I guess that uh, some of them got on to him one day because he was preaching about women dressing modesty and being in modest apparel and not painting themselves up like a you-know-what on the street and all of this, and, uh, and he made the statement. He said, you know, he said, anybody can take an old barn out there and they can paint it and make it look a bit better but you don't have to paint it bright red. And I guess that's the thing so many times with the cosmetics, you know, a little, a little rouge, a little blush, a little foundation, you know, it might, but you don't have to paint yourself up to where that uh, you stand out to the whole world around you. But that's what the Bible is using here in, in these things is, first of all, the preacher is to be speaking things that beautify the solid sound doctrines of God. These ladies are to behave in a manner that beautifies the holiness of God. And here in verse 10, that they, these, these hearers actually speaking of servants and those that are, that are serving others, that they should adorn, beautify the doctrine of God, the teachings of God. We find that just a few pages back where he was writing to Another young preacher called Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, after speaking of the things that are pointing out to the men, he says, in like manner also to the ladies, that women, there's that word again, adorn themselves in modest apparel. 
They beautify themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which, there's that other word again, becometh women professing godliness with good works. That which beautifies a woman that is professing to be godly. We find that I would sadly say to you this morning that what the world tries to impress upon us and sadly has too much influence even upon Christians, upon the church today, is its idea of how to beautify yourself, how to adorn yourself, how to make yourself look more attractive. But God is telling us very clearly that as Christians, as godly women, the same applies for men in, in other passages, that it shouldn't be that you're dressing in a way that calls attention to you, that calls attention to your flesh, that tries to show people how beautiful you are in this fleshly body. I will say to you this morning that any man that's worth his, his, his weight in, in anything whatsoever, if any man that, that is worth you having is someone, that's not what he's looking for you and your beauty, how sexy that you can look, how appealing that you can look to this world. He's looking for a beauty that you cannot paint on on the outside. I want us to think briefly this morning on this beauty, the beauty of a godly woman, a beauty that this world can't give you. See, it's my duty, just as it was Titus's here, to speak that which will beautify God's teachings, not the world's, not what men think, not what they've brainwashed so much of our society with, including those within the church. It's my duty to teach sound doctrines from the Word of God so that the ladies and men, I'm not leaving you out. It just happens to be Mother's Day. Don't worry. I'll get you with two barrels on Father's Day. But Scripture teaches us, and we should be able to look and see how that they might beautify the very holiness of God in their lives. That's what he's saying here, is that what they're doing, rather than calling attention to themselves and their vain appearance, that the way that they do this, they are drawing attention to the very holiness of God himself. Not just some outward beauty. I tell you, it can be pretty shocking. Sometimes if you can see the same individual in their unmade-up way and in their made-up way, is that the same person? People can really put on a face. They can really disguise themselves to be something that they're really not. But what I want you to realize this morning is that God shows us how that we can be beautiful from within. A beauty that will literally beautify, show off, exhibit the very holiness of God himself. In other words, instead of that whole bag of cosmetics that you've got to make your face look pretty, I want us to open up God's bag here and look at some spiritual cosmetics, some things that will really make you beautiful, some things that will give you a beauty that is beyond anything that this world can ever do, to see some things that become, that adorn, that beautify His holiness his word, his teachings. I want us to be able. And this is one time, guys, most of the time I would get pretty worried if you were getting into your wife's cosmetic bag and you started applying those things. I would probably get very worried about you. But today, you're welcome to try your wife's cosmetic bag. These things will work pretty good on most of your faces as well. The cosmetics that God gives us that works from within, it can make men or women beautiful beyond anything this flesh can ever see. I want us to see. I want to give you just four things I think it is. First of all, beauty in the manner that she lives. It says here, the aged women likewise that they be 
in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, the aged women. And that's not probably something that you ladies would like me to come up calling you an aged woman this morning. That probably wouldn't win me any brownie points. But may I say, when the Word of God says the aged women, it's not necessarily one that is old in years, but just one that is older than somebody else. Most of you can be aged to somebody here this morning. You can find somebody that's younger, and to them you are aged. Believe me. You know, I, I can still remember long, 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 long time ago when I was a youngster, I can remember, you know, looking at, at my mom and dad even when they were in their 30s, and I'm thinking, man, they're old, you know. I can remember as a teenager, you know, when they were starting to, to, uh, to get into those 40s and, and, and whoa, they're really old. I can remember when 60 years old, that wasn't just old, that was ancient. <laughs> I mean, you know, you already got one foot in the grave at that age. Looked around, I thought the other day, well, you know, man, you know, I'm not as old as I thought. I mean, you know, here's a guy 74 years old running for president, another one that's 67, another one that's 68. You know, I, I haven't even got to the prime yet. <laughs> The truth is, is that we are all, we are all aged to somebody else. And the Bible says here, though, when it says the aged women, those that are older, that are more, more senior, that are more mature, as we look around today, some of the ladies are more mature than others. Some are more enhanced with years than others. Some have much more wisdom, much more experience in all of these things. The aged women, he says, that they be in behavior. Something very interesting that I'd never even noticed myself. It's one of those little nuggets that you pull out of God. You know, I always think of behavior as just, you know, simply, you know, how you act and all of that. But as I was studying this passage of Scripture, the word that's actually translated behavior here. Is the word is it comes from the root that we get our word fragrance from. Fragrance. They're gonna be in fragrance. They be in fragrance what? They be in fragrance as becometh holiness, as the beauty of holiness. The fragrance of holiness is emanating from them. I'm sure you're like me. I've been in some of those rooms that, you know, when a lady walked in the room, you didn't have to look to see her visibly because whoo! The aura, the aroma, <laughs> the fragrance that came forth was strong and powerful. There's many times that, you know, even children began to recognize the fragrance of their parents. It's comforting to them. They know what dad smells like and what mom smells like. We find that some people have favorite fragrances, and sometimes, again, maybe even when it's not overpowering, you know when they've entered the room because they simply, you recognize their fragrant fragrance. The Bible is you really using a, a vivid illustration here. You see, back in the Old Testament, the priest would go into the holy place and the holy of holies, and one of the things that he would do would be to burn incense. Well, even after he had finished burning the incense in the holiest place there, and he would come out to the people, guess what he smelled like? They knew he had been with God because he had the fragrance that came from being with God in the holy of holiest. And people would recognize that. They would know where the priest has been. They would know he's been with the Lord. He's been with the Lord. You see, there's an aura. There's a glow about a godly woman. It's the beauty of Christ that, that radiates from her life. Her manner of life, the way that she lives her life, is a fragrance that actually exhibits, beautifies the holiness of God. Rather than drawing attention to her and her flesh, her life draws attention to God. People know that she's been with the Lord. He says, no false accusers. Gossip. Do you know that I read something the other day it was interesting. It said that really gossip with most people is a form of insanity. What? Why is gossip insanity? And he went on to say, well, you know, somebody will come up to you and they'll say something like, 
you know I don't gossip. But <laughs> I got to tell you this. And the thing is, they don't even know that they're gossiping. They don't even know that they're doing something wrong. They think that, they're, you know, I'm, I'm not a gossip. But <laughs> I've got to tell you this. Well, this article went on to say that when you do something and you don't even know what you're doing, it's a form of insanity. <laughs> when you're doing something, your mind doesn't even know it. And so a lot of people, they're gossiping, they're talking about other people, things that have no basis whatsoever. They're not in their manner of life, beautifying the holiness of God. They're allowing a loose tongue to destroy someone else instead. He says, not given to much wine. Now, I'm not going to get into how much is too much and all of that this morning. We're going to be taking a closer look at that in just the near future. But I'll tell you one thing for sure. There could be absolutely positively no doubt that no matter what you think the answer to that question is, in this passage is speaking clearly that this godly woman, that is beautifying the very holiness of God, that she's not allowing drink to influence her manner of life. And I'll tell you something else if you just want to plug it in and I don't charge extra for it, I dare you to take just one glass of anything and tell me it has zero, no effect. It's not possible. It has an effect. And that's why people are going back. And remember this. In the Bible days, you can read all these different things, and I know sometimes it gets hard. I understand. I've been there. I went through that whole dilemma as a young man myself, to drink or not to drink and how much to drink and how much not to drink and all of those things. There's an awful lot of things to consider, but keep this in mind too. The wine of the Bible is not like what you go out and buy in the shop in a bottle today. It was not. Primarily, it was used for two things. It was used to preserve the fruits. And when it was done that way, it was like a thick, syrupy cordial. And when it was actually drink, it was watered down so much that the alcohol, you would have had to have had much wine in order for it to have any effect at all because it was that watered down. Or it was used for medicinal purposes because it was all they had. It might be for dressing wounds. It might be for drinking for the stomach's sake, as we find in places. I heard the story about the preacher. How many of you know what NyQuil or Night Nurse, those type medications are? They're these cold things that you take and drink before you go to bed at night when you got a really, really bad cold. Well, they've actually outlawed a lot of them in the way they used to be made because they had such a high alcohol percentage in them. Basically, it just knocks you out. <laughs> you, you definitely don't have the cold symptoms anymore. Preacher's wife had a really bad cold and she was really struggling to get any sleep. So she, she took her NyQuil, night nurse, I think it's night nurse here, NyQuil on the other side of the Atlantic, same, same medication. And she slept a whole lot better that night after she took it. The second night she was doing a whole lot better, but she still took her night nurse before she went to bed. And boy, she slept like a baby that night. <laughs> but the third night he began to get worried because she was completely better but she was mixing her night nurse with her soda before she drank it. <laughs> it could be very addictive is what I'm saying. It could be very, very addictive. And people don't realize it. And it takes that little bit more, that little bit more. But I want you to, to grasp and understand here. You know that could people get drunk off of wine? They've always been able to. And of course, did people drink too much in Bible's days? Yes, they did. God even honestly records some of them in Scripture, even people that were godly that fell from God because of drinking too much wine, drinking too much strong drink. I promise you this, you will never, and if you can find it, please come and show me. You will never find anywhere in the Word of God where it's given as a good thing that somebody was better for it, that they accomplished more because of it. Every time that you see somebody having it to where it's influenced them, it is bad and the consequences are horrible. The warnings are there. A woman that beautifies the holiness of God will not be given to much wine. In other words, she'll not be in a situation where some outside substance 
is having an effect on her, whatever it might be, drink or drugs or whatever, when it begins to affect the way she thinks, the way she speaks, the way that she behaves, I can promise you it won't be the holiness of God that is being radiated. The fragrance will be very, very different indeed. The beauty of a godly woman will be seen in the manner that she lives her life. Ladies, you can beautify yourself to the moon and back with all the cosmetics of this world. And you can make yourself so beautiful that you can't walk by somebody without getting their attention. But I'm saying to you this morning, I want you to see a beauty that goes much, much, much deeper than all that surface fake artificialism. I want to show you a beauty that's real, a beauty that comes from within. The Bible is talking about a godly woman here, a beauty that this woman, the fragrance about her is that she's been with God. She is actually beautifying the very holiness of God himself with the way that she's living her life and the things that she is doing. Beauty. Beauty in the manner in which she lives. Also beauty in the mandate which she obeys. What did it say there? The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine. In other words, the first thing we see is the beauty coming through in the way that she's actually living her life, but then there is a mandate. It goes on to say, teachers of good things that they may teach the young women. So first of all, they're living an example that exemplifies the holiness of God rather than what this world, typifying a beauty that comes from within. That's not something that's artificial or fake. She's not only living it, she's teaching it to the young women. Now, that's not a new thought. It's a continuation of the same sentence there. It's the thought still in the beautifying of the holiness of God. This mandate is given from God that the aged women teach the young women. Now, like I said, you probably wouldn't think it's the most exciting thing if I came up and called you an aged woman. And I realize that whether it's a pastor or as a husband or he's just a human being, I have to be very, very careful when I go down that road. And, you know, I think that even God must have knew that because here where you're reading the aged women, that's the only place in the whole Bible that that word's ever used. Nowhere else. Right here, the word that's translated as the aged women, literally the older women. No specific age. Speaking to the older, more mature ladies in the church, teaching those that are younger than her. It's not just the elderly, though they certainly, with all of their wealth of experience and wisdom, would be part of it. But by definition, we're talking about those who are older within the body of Christ, teaching those that are younger, their experience, their wisdom, their Christian maturity. You see, if you fit in that category here today, you have a mandate from God. It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea that you should grasp onto if you're interested in it. This is a command in God's Word. You can either obey it or you can disobey it. And if you're not investing your life into the lives of the younger women, if you're not involved in those ministries of trying to fulfill your God-given talents and responsibilities as a woman, you could honestly say from this passage that whether you have any natural children yet or ever, you are to be a mother to those that are younger to you within the church. You're to be an example in your lifestyle, those that are younger than you, they're looking to you and they're thinking, they're thinking you're the old one. You might only be in your 20s. 
But to some of these young girls around here, you're aged. <laughs> you're very aged as far as they're concerned. You have a responsibility. What is your lifestyle, ladies? Is your manner of life beautifying the holiness of God? And are you taking the time to invest yourself to teach the younger women the things of God? Who is teaching the younger women in our churches? Who's teaching the younger Christian women? Who is shaping their family values? Well, I'm afraid in most cases it's somebody like Oprah. It's the celebrities. It's all these, what do they call them, the agony ants or whatever that they are, <laughs> that have got all the answers for all the problems and they're teaching them. You know, girls, they'll teach you stuff like, you know, <laughs> if you're not happy with that old goat, just, just, just leave him. <laughs> You've got a right to be happy. If he's not letting you be happy, then find somebody else. We find that we need some older women with experience and Christian maturity to step up and say to them, hey, you've got a responsibility to keep that vow, to keep that promise, that commitment that you made before God. It's not your love that sustains your commitment. It's your commitment to God that will sustain your love. Too many people today have got it all reversed. They don't feel like it anymore. And so therefore, the commitment goes out the window. The commitment is what will sustain your love. We need godly women that will step up and they'll say, yes, we've had our share of problems too. Just because your Christian life isn't always easy, there's tough times to go through. I've been through something that's bigger than you can even begin to imagine. But guess what? God's always there. God continues to be there. Commitment to each other is what will get you through. Commitment to each other and commitment to God. Commitment to those sound doctrines that are being espoused. You know, the world will say to our young ladies, ah, if that pregnancy is unplanned, then just get rid of the evidence. Nobody will ever know. It'll be gone. We find that I promise you this morning, the circumstances that surround any pregnancy are not what determines the value of that child. And it is a child, however it got there. Many things could be said, but the beauty of a godly woman is seen not with the makeup on her face, but in the manner that she lives her life and in the mandate that she obeys from God to teach the younger women how to live a godly life. But God goes on to actually give some specifics of what it is that she's to teach. We see the beauty in the message that she teaches. What is she to be teaching? That they may teach the young women to be sober. Told you not to drink too much wine. <laughs> Well, it's not just talking about being sober from wine. <laughs> it's talking about being sober from everything. It's not just that. It goes much further. Matter of fact, in the next verse, it begins with to be discreet. Very similar words. Sober and discreet mean to be serious-minded, to be level-headed, to have good judgment. Yes, that does include. That's why we talk about a person being sober when they don't have the outside influence of alcohol and drugs in their life. But there's an awful lot of other influences. To be sober is to be thinking straight, to have good judgment, to be level-headed. We find a lot of that if we had time when you turn to, to Proverbs 31. And we see the description of a virtuous woman there. Her husband trusts her. He trusts her to make the right decisions, to run the house well to use the time wisely. Now, I'm not just picking on the ladies. You know, it's like the couple that finished their honeymoon and she finally decided it was time to be honest with them and tell him, you know, I'm not a very good cook. 
She was getting ready to prepare his first meal for him. She said, I've only ever learned to cook two things. You have to be from the South to understand it. Meatloaf and banana pudding. That I can do meatloaf and banana pudding. He said, I can live with that. <laughs> I can handle that. So she prepares the meal. She puts it before him. He said, okay, that's good. He said, but can you tell me which is which? <laughs> you know, the truth is, is that there's a time to speak and a time not to speak. That's not the kind of thing that will win brownie points for most of you husbands. Whatever it is she cooks, you lap it up. It's the most wonderful thing that you've ever eaten in your life. Bible doesn't say you have to be a great cook to be a godly woman. It helps on the man's side, but the Bible doesn't say you have to be a great cook. But it does say you need to be level-headed. You need to be serious-minded. You need to use good judgment. You know, the guy said to his husband, you know, you must think I'm the perfect idiot. She says, honey, no, says, nobody's perfect. <laughs> nobody's perfect. We find that we all have our weaknesses. We all have our failings. But God is trying to teach us some underlying things here. And he's trying to teach us that there's certain things. And ladies, one of the things to be a godly woman is to be sober-minded, to be wise, to be level-headed in the way that you think. He says, to love your husbands. We've talked a lot about love. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Do you really have to learn how to love? We have to learn to love God's way. It's not the flesh way. It's not the sinful way. Remember, we've talked a lot lately about God's kind of love, and it's not about my feelings. It's all about selflessness. It's unconditional. It's, it's always giving. It's always focusing on the other. Today, we usually think about falling in love and then getting married. I got news for you. It was reversed when these things were being written. Mom and dad got to do the picking. <laughs> that was arranged marriages in a different way than what we see them today. But they learned to love. They learned to love. Behind every command of God is the power of God to be able to fulfill it, to love their husbands. By God's grace, by God's help, by obeying him, a godly woman will love her husband. And he says, to love their children. Do you really have to learn that? Surely. Well, again, you look around, there's certainly an awful lot of people that do need to learn it. <laughs> there are countless unloved children in this world as we look about us. Children that would just give anything just to know that somebody cares, to know that somebody loves them. God's Word is a guide. It's only from God that we can truly learn how to love in that unconditional love. Yes, the kid's going to mess up. Yes, they're going to fall short on some marks. But a godly woman is going to love that child the way God loves you. An unconditional love. They're going to be there through the thick and the thin, through it all. We find that he says to be chaste. <laughs> Probably most people today would struggle to even give you a definition of what it means to be chaste, to be pure. Premarital purity and postmarital fidelity is one way to look at it. You see, we live in a day of state-run school systems, and again, I've got a lot of stuff here, but bottom line is the reason the state's educating our children is because the homes and the churches have failed. God gives us the responsibility. Now, thank God that there are some godly teachers out there in that system that have a positive influence on those children. But for the most part, the state is not going to educate your children in the ways of God. God's been taken out of there a long time ago. We find that, you know, their idea is to give the young ladies contraceptives <laughs> so that they don't get in trouble rather than teaching chastity, teaching purity, teaching abstinence, teaching that God has something very special and very beautiful. 
but that the world has cheapened it and made it dirty and made it ugly. Older women, godly women, need to be teaching our younger women what it means to be chaste, to be pure. That it'll make something special in that marriage that this world can never, ever, ever give them. To be keepers at home. Comes from two Greek words, one meaning home, the other one meaning diligent or worker. In other words, to be home workers. Now, most of the time we think of homework as that school work that we didn't get done at school that we have to do at home. But the Bible's speaking here of these teaching the younger women to work at home. Keeping a home is hard work, but it's so important. There is no greater or more rewarding work in all the world than to diligently work to make a home what God wants it to be. It's not a job to be ashamed of. I realize we live in a day when many women have to go out and work. Many of them because they have to. But I would suggest to you today, make sure that if you're one of those ladies that you're working for the needs and not for the greeds. If you're working just so that you can have a higher standard of life, I can promise you it's not worth the trade-off to your home. And it never will be. I don't care how successful you are in your profession. Don't be afraid as a Christian to, to step out on faith. If your kids are still at home, it might take some real sacrifice, but the reward will be worth it. I'm not trying to belittle your education, your degrees, the professions that you might have. Thank God, praise Him for the hard work that He's allowed you to be able to put in to, to accomplish those things. But don't let them go to your head. Let them cause your priorities to be all out of proportion. Don't even begin to think that a, a worldly career and more success in this world is, is more important than being a godly wife and being a godly mother, loving your husbands, loving your children, keeping the home. There is no higher calling on the face of the earth than to be a godly wife and a godly mother and don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. That's the greatest privilege that you'll have. And the last thing that I want to do on this Mother's Day is to put a guilt trip on anybody. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Don't take it differently than what God is saying right here. He's giving us sound, godly teachings. I'm simply responsible to speak what he's given us. The older women are to teach the younger women these things, that the beauty of God's holiness might be seen in both the older and the younger. He says, teaching them to be good. That's pretty self-explanatory. He's not trying to, to trick us there. But may I say good according to God's standard, not according to the world standard. Sometimes the world struggles with even knowing what's, what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, what's evil and what's not. Be good. Live according to God's standards. To be obedient to their own husbands. Oh, <laughs> tough. I could become a male chauvinistic pig or whatever there real quick, couldn't I? Most people have that taken out of their vows nowadays anyway, even though it's still in God's Word. And I guess if you're not going to keep it, it's better not to promise it. But God says you're to be obedient to your own husband. He tells them that. And then he says here that the older ladies are to teach the younger ladies to be obedient to their husbands. God has a plan for the home. God has a rightful plan for the home. And if we learn God's way and do it God's way, that's when we will truly have peace and harmony in the kind of homes that he wants us to have. The beauty of a godly woman is seen in the manner 
that she lives her life. In the mandate that she obeys from God to teach the younger women, and in the message that she teaches to those younger women, finally, beauty and the motive that drives her. Why would a woman want to do all this? Look at what it says in verse 5, that the word of God be not blasphemed. That the word of God be not blasphemed. In other words, to do otherwise would be to blaspheme the very word of God. What does it mean to blaspheme? It means to show irreverence. It means to make it less than what it is. In other words, if God has instructed us to do something and we don't, we show complete disregard and disrespect for his word to do otherwise. The best thing you can do to improve the influence of Christ, of his church, of his people, is to be obedient to his word in every way. That requires godly men and godly women that will put God and his will and his gospel above their own. You see, this godly woman is doing this because it's best for God, because it's best for God's word, because it's best for the gospel. That's more important to her than her own selfish, needful desires. That's the motivation because she loves God so much that what he wants for her life is far, far, far more important than what this world will give her. I want to conclude with this because our time's gone. The beauty of a godly woman is beyond anything this world can offer. And today, we need to honor those godly women, those godly mothers, those that are mothers in the natural sense and those that are mothers to the children in our church. And all of those artificial cosmetics, there's nothing to compare to God's spiritual cosmetics that he offers us here. In all of their accomplishments of beauty, they have no beauty that can ever come close to comparing to the very holiness of God. It almost seems like it's too good to be true. But, you know, I'm not making this up this morning. I'm simply trying to look at these few verses and try to honor God in speaking the things that are true here. And what God says is honorable. What God says real beauty is and how this beauty can be in a person's life. Our homes are under attack. I think we need to begin by turning to God by reading the directions that he's given us, by following those directions. Aren't you thankful today for mothers, for women of God that are godly, that have set the right influence before you, that have tried to teach you the right thing? Because Mother's Day today is a day to honor them. But... It's also the Lord's day, and it's a day to glorify God. One way we can do both is for women and men to really commit themselves to a manner of life that emits the sweet fragrance of having been with God, that exhibits and beautifies the very holiness of God rather than whatever wonderful physical features that you might have, that people are seeing the very beauty of God himself through you. Today, we want to honor that phenomenal beauty. I want to thank each and every one of you godly ladies, and I know, just as there's no perfect idiots, <laughs> there's no perfect moms, perfect dads, perfect women, but we're striving for that. We're striving to be more like Christ. So today, I want to honor you ladies. Try to put God first in your life. And I want to encourage you young ladies, this Mother's Day, honor your moms. Thank them. 
I know sometimes that we'll be looking at, God willing, this evening at a mother's faith, and, you know, sometimes Mother's Day can be hard because you may not have had a good mom or your mom may be gone and all kind of reasons, but they deserve the honor that they're due. The Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother. I know the world gets into all kinds of stupid, superficial ways of doing it, but show them, honor them. Ladies, may I encourage you, the best way that you can honor God is to honor Him with your life. Live your life in a manner that emits the very fragrance of God's holiness, that people know you've been with God. Take His mandate seriously, teaching the younger women, teaching them the right message, the message they need to hear from God's Word. Let the motivation of your life be that you want God to use your life. You want God to be seen in your life. And when they look at you, you're not concerned about that vanity of what you see in the mirror. You're concerned about whether they're seeing God being emitted from your life or not. Father, I thank you this morning, Lord, for the time that you have given us around your word. I thank you, Lord, for the mothers that are here today. I thank you also, Lord, for these godly women that may not have husbands and natural children, but, Lord, that they, as part of the church family, Lord, they're still to take these responsibilities seriously and to teach the younger women. I thank you also, Lord, for all of the younger women that are here with us today. Lord, I pray that you would just help instill within them, help them, Lord, not to be sidetracked with their lives of this world's ideas of beauty, but help them to grasp that their lives, their lives can beautify the very holiness of God himself. Let the fragrance that is emitted from their lives be one that shows that they've been with you. I pray that you'd help them, Lord, that the motivations in their lives would not be worldly and temporal, but help them to be godly. Help them to desire for your will, for your word to be supreme above their own. We give you all the praise and all the thanks for it. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.